Welcome to Something Wicked, where each week we discuss topics on true crime, haunted histories, and all things paranormal. This week we are continuing our story of Leonardo Cinciulli, the soap maker of Correggio. If you haven't listened to part one, I highly recommend it, as the starting here will leave you boggled as hell. So sit back, grab a snack, and enjoy. Welcome to part two of Crazy Cursed Lady with Lori and Tori. (laughs) In part one, we discussed how Leonardo's mother grew up and how one traumatic event changed the course of her life, which in turn made Leonardo grow up with the proverbial sword of Damocles hanging over her head in the form of a curse. This woman suffered a string of tragedies that affected her physical and mental health. And in this episode, we're going to discuss her ultimate decline into murder. Murder, murder. (laughs) As stated last week, Leonardo and her family had just experienced this devastating earthquake that completely obliterated the town she lived in and now had to figure out what her next steps were to keep herself and her family safe. After the earthquake, she took her family and moved to Correggio. Little fun factoid. Correggio comes from the Latin word Correggium, which means a strip of leather. The town was named that because it is a strip of land between two bodies of water and it dates back to the Roman Empire. Like most towns in Italy, but you know, still. That's pretty neat. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. (laughs) When Leonardo and her family arrived, they were welcomed with open arms because they were known to be refugees of the earthquake. The townspeople helped Raphael get a clerical job and rent a small house that was attached to a vacant general store that was included in the rent. Oh. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool to get, like... they got their own little store out of it. Yeah, pretty much. That's cute. Yeah. For the first few weeks... Leonardo was in a state of shock and depression, understandably. Mm -hmm. She was used to feeling anxious and worried, but now those feelings had been overshadowed by all the other feelings of anger, frustration, confusion, resentment, rage, yada yada, until she descended into feeling nothing and became completely disconnected from the outside world. Yeah. The women of Correggio would come over to visit, bringing clothes, food, and gifts to make her feel welcome. But she would just sit there zoning out at the wall, not saying a word. Like, just had a complete breakdown into disassociativeness. The rest of her family began to thrive in Correggio very early on. Raphael liked his job, and everyone could tell that he was a good, upstanding man, so he was quickly accepted into the social structure. Even the older kids started making friends and getting involved in town activities. So gradually, Leonardo started coming out of her slump and took a look at her life. Because she's like, you know, well, my family's thriving. Everybody's happy. So what's the point of being all frumpy? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, She looked back on all the traumas in her life and she felt that she had enough and thought that maybe the curse did too. Like maybe the earthquake was the curse exuding the last of its power and now it would just leave her alone. So she got herself together and went around the town to the women that had visited her to thank them for being kind and to apologize for being so distant when they came. They understood, of course, because of what her family had just gone through and wanted her to know that she and her family had a place with them now, which is really sweet. That is really nice. I think especially after the sh- everything she went through in her life. There was a new community that just kind of accepted her in. Yeah, which is something that's completely new to her. Yeah. Yeah, so Leonardo started to feel happy. She started to make friends, when, uh, which she never had before. 
like I said, and um, her and her friends would go out for lunch and they would gossip, exchange recipes, and she would offer them advice. Then soon after that, her friends would go over to her house specifically to seek her advice. Like for the first time in her life, she felt she had something to offer other than being a wife and mother. She was well-liked. She had people respecting her opinions. She had people that would confer with her before making any big decisions and she was accepted. So life was pretty much going all hunky-dory now for her, which is great. So she started loosening the reins on her kids because she thought that if the curse was coming for her, there was nothing she could do about it and was screwed one way or the other. So she was kind of like, you know, fuck it. I'm going to live my life. Good. I mean, it sucks that that curse is still kind of hanging over her head. But at the same time, this is what you need to just move forward as if it doesn't exist. Yeah. It's just going to fuck you up even worse. Yeah, because if you dwell on that shit, it's just going to eat away at you until you eventually just give up or you freak out or something i don't know um, and in my belief with the way that curses work it mm-hmm. seems like the more belief and power you put into it the stronger it becomes so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because you're powering yeah no. makes sense makes yeah. sense so as her mental health began to improve she felt the urge to create something she began to write poetry that she would read out loud to her friends at dinner parties and she would just bask in their applause that they gave her for them. So like even more positivity coming into her life now. Raphael was making good money. Their children were getting older and more independent. And Leonardo found she had a lot more free time on her hands where she never really had before either. Like, so now she's like, what do I do? Because my kids are grown up. Like, I don't have to take care of them. I need to be a helicopter. I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> so she decided to make something to sell in the shop. That was attached to her house. She needed to come up with something good because she still demanded nothing less than perfection in herself. She thought back to when she worked at the bank cleaning and mixing chemicals. So she tried to make a recipe for soap bars. She ordered these fancy perfumes and oils from Florence. And while she waited for them to arrive, she got cleaning the vacant store until she made it look brand new. When she got the recipe down pat for the soap, she made some and gave her first batches to her friends to see what they thought. And they just loved it. They were like, this is freaking awesome. Like, you're the best at making this. So when she had her grand opening of the store, the entire town showed up because her friends had spread the word of how awesome this soap was that she was making and told everyone that they just had to buy some. Also because her family was well-liked and respected and they wanted to show their support and solidarity to her. So... Again, that's pretty damn great. That's a good like, <laughs> I wish I had things like that where it's just like, you know, you just give out something to your friends and then all of a sudden, like, the entire community is like, let me buy some shit too. Like, that would yeah. be awesome. I bet she's feeling great right now. So her soaps became so popular soon that she was starting to get orders from all over Italy. Some of her customers were even from the highest ranks of Italian society. So like all, yeah, all the people that like her mother was trying to associate herself with like all the rich hoity-toity people in their mansions and shit. Yeah. All you had to do is be good at making soap. Karma. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. The only issue she was having was that she was having trouble making enough batches fast enough to keep up with the public's demands. Oh, no. That's a good problem to have. (laughs) I think it is, too. It's like, oh, no, whatever shall I do? I'm becoming so popular. How dare I? (laughs) 
How dare! How dare! <laughs> she was making so much money, oh, of course, that she that she was able to take care of her entire family without Raphael's income. Oh, shit. And the most important thing, she was finally able to save her money, something she always wanted to do, but has never been able to so she could feel more secure yeah so she is like full rounded at this point she has everything going on for her so of course <laughs> we know as this the being... other shoe gonna drop yeah yeah <laughs> as she became more popular she revealed to the women in the town that she was not only able to make these kick-ass soaps but she also had the sight and could read their palms and give them glimpses into their futures oh shit yep her shop was now bustling on a daily basis with not only customers for her soap but with the women who wanted to sit and have coffee or tea with her and have their palms read and her reputation grew as the predictions she made actually started coming true Whoa. yep guess she learned a lot from those uh money yeah wow (laughs) <laughs> shit i want to know like i would love to have that kind of knowledge like, I, I did look into palm reading and stuff for a yeah. little bit i only remember a little bit of it but same it like, makes me happy that i can look at my head and i know what this and this means you know <laughs> oh yeah so and as religious as the town was they didn't shy away from mysticism the men were even starting to come to her for guidance along with the women like if a farmer wanted to know which crops to grow for the season or if a mother wanted to know if her son's wife would bear children they would go to leonardo so she became extremely respected by the women in town and when the romani people traveled through the town they would stop into the shop just to see her and barter with her for the soaps and she made out like a bandit with the trade she was getting from the Romani because along with the herbs and tarot cards she would get uh, she also got books on magic and spells. Over time she amassed an occult library of books which was equivalent in scale to amount that the private collectors have in Italy which if I remember reading right the highest amount of occult books in a collection to one person was around 13,000. Which I don't know where the hell she fit all her books in her house if the count was in the thousands but that's still pretty damn impressive. I love that. Seriously like I only have a handful of them here in like my own bookcase and shit and it's just like I want so much more. (laughs) I don't know if I want 13,000 but (laughs) but a few more would make me happy. Oh yeah. Yeah. So she was proud very proud of her collection and shifted from spending her evenings writing poetry to studying her cult books and try to find a way to break the curse she had never been happier and was dead set on not letting the curse ruining her newfound happiness when she least expected it yeah you know it's funny about that how we talked before about how you wouldn't be able to really find how to break this kind of curse in just the run-of-the-mill spell books that you would find like at the lamonic kings with that sort of collection she might actually have something there that could help her. Yeah, no. That's pretty nuts. We'll see. I mean, like, but so that's what I mean. Like, she started getting into really, like, hardcore into this where it would just be, like, constant studying because even though she has this positive mindset, she still has in the back of her mind that she has the curse over her. So as as long as she can just get rid of that, then she can just be 100% happy. No more worrying, no more nothing. I can't say in the situation that she's in that I would handle things much differently. Honestly. Yeah, same. Yeah. That's why I was saying in like in part one, it's just like I, I feel for her. I feel bad for her and I don't blame her for even the shit she does that we're going to talk about a little later because it's just like the shit she went through in her life and how much love 
she has for her children and wants to protect them so badly, I don't blame her. No, not at all. I really don't. <laughs> wow. So the Romani people would talk to her for hours with her in her shop about the curse and magic, make their trades, and move on. But they did bring her story to all the towns and cities that they traveled to. So soon, Leonardo was receiving letters from people all over southern Italy saying that they were also interested in the things that she was interested in. So she got a lot of like-minded pen pals that she would exchange information with on magic and whatnot. These people introduced her to Stregoneria as well as Benedicaria, which allowed her to branch out to find more books that focus specifically on those two practices. But because she was an obsessive perfectionist, she had to practice and perfect each practice in order to become more magically powerful to combat the curse. And she could offer the people in town more than just a palm reading. She began making charm bags, which are small pockets or pouches made from fabric and filled with ingredients like herbs and blessed objects, depending on what the desired outcome of the spell was, and then stitched together. These were a lot of the times used for protection. So, for example, if someone wanted protection of St. Michael, the archangel, remember, Catholic town, she would fill the bag with fennel seed, rue, black pepper, sea salt, chili peppers, some kind of protection oil such as sandalwood, rose, or garlic, an image of St. Michael, most of the time a metal, like a pendant. It was wrapped in a red cloth and stitched together um, with black thread. And she learned to other types of spells as well, not just for protection, which she was known for. She also did spells for harm. She knew that the curse had come from a place of evil, and if she had a chance to get rid of it, she had to dabble in the darker magics. As her perception of magical power grew, she not only felt more powerful, but more assured of herself that she was in control of herself and her fate. Which is, no bueno, this is where she starts crossing the line. Because, um, yes, the curse might have come from a dark place but you don't just start dabbling in the darker side of shit to get rid of it you'd think that the polar opposite would be i mean this is just kind of like the trauma response but this is instead magical where you go down one of two paths you either try to get on the same level to cancel it out or to get up to the polar opposite level i see where she's going with it but it was unnecessary yeah like there was definitely a better path that could have been chosen here but this is that deviation that leads her yeah that's that's what i'm saying it's like i honestly feel like this might have been where it was that tipping point um that she could have possibly avoided everything oh definitely um instead of just being like well they cursed me so i'm just gonna start hexing people and shit and hopefully this will work like no that's not how it works (laughs) but because she had so little experience in uh being in control however she got high on it so she became power hungry it became this vicious cycle of the more she studied and practiced the more she thought the curse was real so she studied and practiced more to combat it and so on and so forth over and over vicious cycle yep She practiced alone at night after everyone had gone to bed. She created multiple protection spells for herself and her family. And when she felt she perfected that, she began sharing all of her spells, good and bad, to the people in town. So she marketed herself as a local soap maker and magic woman. 
If a woman came to her pregnant, for example, and didn't want to be anymore, she had an herbal tea for that. If a man couldn't satisfy his wife, she had a potency potion for him. If a young girl came to her hoping to attract the person she was in love with, she had a potion for that. Whatever the issue was, there was a spell or potion for it, and Leonardo knew them all. Which is fine to be well-rounded. But... I a lot of respect for her, honestly. Yeah. But it was noted at this time, Leonardo was actually the most powerful person in knowledge and practice of Stregonaria uh, protection rights in all of Italy. Whoa. Which, yeah. That's nuts. Yeah. But I mean, again, like you put that much time and effort into it. And the whole perfectionist aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, again, like you said, I, I actually have kind of respect for her in that aspect because me and my my spells and practices i just kind of wing that shit like I don't, it's like hey if they're listening yeah okay let's do this and she's just like no precise to the point have to do this it's like okay if it works it works but oh my goodness so in uh the time that we're in now, it's around when World War II rolled around. Mussolini was pumping out propaganda to every corner of the country and telling all the young men the proverbial, we want you to serve. The draft hadn't come around yet, so the government was trying to persuade the men to fight for their country willingly. And like many wars, the men saw fighting and dying for their country as brave and honorable act. And one of those men was Giuseppe. Ooh, yeah. Which I, I can't blame him for that. And again, I respect him for that, you know, wanting to be part of something like that. Just like I have respect for all the people in our military as well. But mm, he's going to send your mom on a spiral. Yeah. Mind you, according to Giuseppe, Leonardo had been driving him nuts. She had worn him down his whole life with being controlling and overprotective. His time in Correggio was the first time that he had any freedom or any friends. Like he loved his mother, but she was a lot to handle and she had only grown more odd as time went on. This is all from his I mean, perspective. I mean, that's fair from, from that perspective. Yeah. Like, from hers, it's like she just wants to protect her baby. I get that. But I can see from his point of view where she's like, Mom, back the fuck off. Like, mm, <laughs> I'm I- grown now. Please leave me be. Oh, yeah. It gets weirder. That's oh, the fun part. Oh, even though he's fucking grown. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Giuseppe had been imagining for a while now how to escape her, but he still cared for her and knew she was fragile, especially when it came to him. So he needed to think of a way to leave without hurting her the war he thought gave him the perfect cover to get out without seeing seeming like he just abandoned her so he enlisted behind his mother's back that's great yeah that's the way to do it leonarda got to find out this news when she was coming back from the market she was walking through the town with her groceries and people were coming up to her hugging her and thanking and congratulating her for raising such a brave good son to fight for his country well that is not the way you want to find out yeah no (laughs) so naturally she became a mess she got home and started to sob uncontrollably Giuseppe was only a baby when they had to deal with the aftermath of World War One, which was 21 years prior to this, but she remembered. Italy had joined the side of the Allied powers, so the Allied powers besides Italy were Great Britain, France, Russia, Romania, Canada, and the U.S., And Italy joined up with them at the last minute. So basically, they remained neutral for the majority of the war. 
Italy, in return, hadn't been given as much land as they requested prior as a negotiation. The financial costs of the war had also driven Italy into horrible financial and social states, leading to inflation, skyrocketing unemployment, food shortages, strikes, and riots. The state of the country ended up giving way for Benito Mussolini to take power. He had been promoting nationalism, the whole Italy first shit. Mm. Promising better economy, etc. And the people of Italy, who had been broken and beaten, were eager for good news, so they were willing to take a chance on him. Not going to go into the ironies of that regarding modern day. We all know who I'm talking about. Not going on that tangent. (laughs) But Leonardo wasn't worried about the country in the aftermath. She was focusing on another memory from World War I. Even though Italy dipped their toes in on the last minute, they still lost upwards of 500,000 men. And the survivors would come home critically injured, missing limbs, or severely rattled with heavy doses of PTSD. So Leonardo was sure that her son, who was in no way trained in battle, had never even won a single fistfight in his life, would end up either dead or come home just this empty shell. So naturally, her anxiety kicked into overdrive and she started blaming the curse again and she concluded that because the curse had been placed on her by magic that only magic could fight it. (sighs) Yeah. Giuseppe expected this huge blowout from Leonardo, but instead she was calm and fed him dinner when he got home that evening. She calmly asked him if there was a way he could take it back, like, tell them that he changed his mind and he was like no it's a contract that can't be broken it's done so giuseppe felt that she was being eerily cool completely off character for her what was happening was that on the inside she was putting up this front or sorry on the outside she was putting up the front but on the inside she was compiling everything she had learned read and was preparing to do what she thought was the answer to all of her problems including this new one that her son had created something she had missed all these years to beat the curse alchemy shit's about to get real <laughs> yep cuz now we're delving into the really costly myths of magic <laughs> Fun times! (laughs) Alchemy is an ancient practice rooted in a spiritual worldview that everything around us contains a universal spirit. Those who originally practiced it focused on the actions of trying to convert basic metals such as lead into gold. But of course, as all mystical practices, alchemy comes with a set of rules and restrictions. And the number one rule being equivalent exchange, which is humankind cannot gain anything without first giving something in return. To obtain anything, something of equal or greater value must be exchanged or lost. So, Leonardo surmised that in order to save her son's life, she had to sacrifice a life in his place. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. <laughs> Leonardo was not a violent woman in any way and was not looking forward to what she considered to be this necessary task. She hated the sight of blood to the point that she would even buy her chickens pre-butchered, which was a common and more cost-effective in those days to buy her chickens live and butcher them yourself but she couldn't even bring herself to do that and now she was prepared to kill a whole ass human (laughs) she just wanted so desperately to protect her son that she would go to any length to do so and she believed that this was the only possible solution (laughs) makes sense with alchemy i guess (laughs) 
but now like brotherhood is coming to mind <laughs> like i can't help it like the whole beginning yeah. of the, yeah just i don't know if you guys have ever seen that anime but it's pretty fucked up but entertaining at the same time oh yeah that's the only thing that's coming to mind right now with this uh, she couldn't sleep that night because she was busy building this plan for the spell. She wanted, one, to make it as painless as possible for whoever the sacrifice was, and two, to not get caught. She realized that she had countless potential sacrifices available to her via her store, her customers, her friends. So she figured committing the murder in her home would be the best bet because she had privacy and time. When she did fall asleep, finally, she had already chosen her first sacrifice. Faustina Seti. Faustina had been visiting Leonardo for over a year to get help to find a husband. Faustina was kind of a running joke in the town, being a verified spinster, never married, but always holding out hope. So she was never really warmly welcomed by anyone. And Leonardo realized that Faustina was visiting more frequently. She was looking for social connection as she had no family or friends. During their visits, Faustina expressed how all she wanted was someone to live out the rest of her life with, um, like a friend, a companion, a partner, but even Leonardo's most potent spells had no effect on her, so eventually Leonardo was like, listen, this just might be your fate. You are a pure woman who's never been sullied by a man, so maybe this is what you are meant to do. Like, go to heaven as a pure soul, because maybe that's what God wants for you. So, like, yeah, she's, she's just that, like, like... Leonardo gave up hope for her. She's like, nah, it's alright. Yeah, she's you're like, you're, you, you'll be fine, sweetie. You're good. It's just, I can't do any more potions. Please don't make me. <laughs> like, Leonardo realized that after all the conversations she had with Faustina, that she would not be missed and no one would ask questions. That's so sad. Yeah. Also, Faustina was desperate, so she would believe anything Leonardo told her as long as it gave her hope. The next time Faustina came over, Leonardo talked her up, like, all cheery, made her tea. Then she told Faustina the good news. She was like, I found a husband for you. She said that he had been corresponding with her in letters and had taken it upon herself to send him Faustina's picture. And he had fallen in love with her and wanted to marry her. All that happy horseshit. Just like... You know what this part reminds me of? What? Arsenic and old lace. Have you ever seen that? I, I sounds familiar. I don't think I have two though. crazy old ladies and uh -huh. their I think nephew or something who thought he was freaking Theodore Roosevelt, and they would invite older men over who uh -huh. didn't have families or any love interests or anything, lonely yeah. old men, yeah, and would kill them with arsenic to put them out of their misery. And then their nephew—I'm not sure if that's their actual connection to him—but. Uh -huh. He thought he was Theodore Roosevelt, and he'd go down in the basement, and he goes, I'm going to dig the Panama Can Canal! Oh my Bully! god, what? And they would bury the old men in the basement. Like, what? Yeah, dude, look it up. Arsenic and Old Lace. Oh my dude, god. I a whole black and white movie about it. Oh god, I'm gonna check that out later. Yeah. That sounds ridiculous. Yeah, it, it is. But it's actually, I think, a true story. Oh my god, that's even better. Yeah. Like, but no, I can see how that kind of reminds you of this. Yeah. Like, a little bit. That's crazy. Find the lonely people who don't have any connections and just... Yeah. Okay, bye. Like, <laughs> oh my god. So, getting back <laughs> to the story. Faustina was overjoyed and fired questions at Leonardo. 
like who is this man what was he like what uh when was the wedding what was she gonna wear leonardo told her that she couldn't give her a lot of information other than he lived super far away in pola which at the time was a province of italy after world war one but today is part of croatia so she told her yes and would have to take this long journey but the alternative was to keep living out her life in town as a joke so it's basically it's like oh i swear i found this dude that just like completely head over heels for you it's like you could either do that but you know you don't have to but you'll just be a joke for the rest of your life it's like you can live here and keep doing the, the shitty routine you do every day yeah, if that, you really want to. that that's not <laughs> manipulative at all. No. Like <laughs> Faustina was so happy, she easily agreed to it to the marriage. She even agreed with Leonardo when she was told that they should do something to make sure that no one would worry about her because people wouldn't understand that you're marrying someone that you've never met, so they're going to judge you. So Leonardo told Faustina that she had to write letters to her friends and other family that she would have a safe journey that she's settled and secure and happy with her new husband so they don't come looking for her and try to stop her. But I thought she didn't have any family and friends. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, apparently... Who are you writing letters to? <laughs> yeah, so, again, it's like, what if she has no family and friends, like, how the hell did Faustina... Like, she had to be, like, real fucking desperate at that point. Oh, yeah. No, seriously. This is, like, the ultimate catfish sort of deal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, she had to have somebody, because, like, again, later on, it comes into play that it's, like, people, like, know about the letters and shit, but it's just, like... Right. Again. Anyway. <laughs> Leonardo said that she would mail the letters out after Faustina left so that no one would worry. It was also imperative that they had to move fast. Faustina was to go home, write the letters, pack her things, and come back to Leonardo first thing in the morning. Then she would be sent off to meet her new husband. Faustina arrived the next morning, nervous but trusting of Leonardo. She even trusted when she was given a cup of wine to calm her nerves. Leonardo watched Faustina drink and encouraged her to finish every drop of the dark red wine. Faustina kept commenting how the wine tasted different. It was herby and grainy and a little bitter, and she was commenting that she felt like she was getting sleepy. So, you know, she'd been drunk because <laughs> she roofied her wine. As the drugs were kicking in, Leonardo left the room and came back with an axe. She lifted it high above her head and uttered one word, just sorry, and swung down. The problem was, was one, she was hoping that the first blow would be it, just dead, like done, but no. Leonardo had little to no upper body strength didn't really know how to use an axe properly and she also turned her head away as she swung because she didn't want to see the look on her friend's face as she was killing her <sighs> so the first blow hit faustina in the shoulder oh. <laughs> that poor woman the second swing leonarda kept her eyes wide open and looked straight at faustina to make sure she didn't miss this time and she swung again this time the blade went through the top of faustina's head like i don't mean to be laughing but it's just like i don't want to see like i don't want to you know be hurt by killing my friend i don't want to see the look of betrayal on her face so she just blindly swings at this woman and completely fucking misses the kill shot and now the second time she's like no 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 okay let's try again so see, and this is what would happen if i ever tried to kill people you think you think you think it through all the way and then I don't realize until you're about to swing the thing. And you're you like, oh shit, I'm really strength. doing this. Oh shit, I yeah. don't want to be doing this. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. 
after Faustina was dead, the kitchen was covered in blood. Like, oh. blood spray just saturated everywhere. So Leonardo went through with the next step of her plan. She was going to cut up Faustina's body into smaller chunks and then hang them from herb hooks to drive the pieces Underneath the part, she placed basins to collect the blood and then go into psycho-cleaning mode to scrub the kitchen free of any evidence. After she finished cleaning and all the blood was drained, she poured the blood from the basins onto cookie sheets. She was upset that most of the blood had been spilled on the floor or sprayed on the walls and very little had collected in the basins. So, no, fuck that. Never mind that you just murdered one of your friends. It's like, oh, you didn't have enough blood in you. Like, what? (laughs) What? No, no, you got the blood everywhere else. It was supposed to go in the basin. Come on. Because cookie sheets. It's not filling the cookie sheets. How dare you? <laughs> oh At least my god. Die right. God. What the fuck? <laughs> Once the blood was on the trays, they were put into the oven to start the drying process. So actually what happens with the blood when it's superheated is pretty cool. It's or interesting, however you look at it. So when you heat up blood, the proteins and enzymes, and enzymes, Jesus, enzymes denature, and the water in the blood evaporates, causing it to thicken and become very dark in color until it becomes congealed, like blood jello. Like it gets all like yeah, yeah. It's like slime consistency. It's it's well, yeah, it's fucking weird. That's cool, but also <laughs> gross. Yeah. <laughs> She needed the blood like this so she could use it as an ingredient for baking. She used it to make tea cakes. Apparently, using blood in food is common for a spell in Italian folk magic for it to be super effective. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. Another fun fact. In a book called Italian Folk Magic, Rue's Kitchen Witchery by Mary Grace Faroon, there's a spell in it for your mother-in-law if she doesn't like you. And I'm going to tell you how to do it. Oh, no. Is this smart? Yeah. <laughs> Are we really going to do this right now? No. Like, we're not going to do it. We're just no. telling. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to tell everybody out there how to deal with your Wonderful. mother-in-law. First, you need to obtain sugar or honey from your mother-in-law's kitchen. Find out what her favorite cookie or cake is. Then make it for her and make it with good intentions and the utmost love with the sugar or honey that you swiped from her kitchen unbeknownst to her. So you have to steal the sugar from her kitchen. When finished, invite her over for coffee and serve her her favorite treat. Secondly, you need to replace the sugar or honey in her kitchen with your own. So put the sugar that you use for your coffee from your kitchen as the sugar she uses for her coffee. If if you get that. I know it sounds confusing. (laughs) The old switcheroo, so to speak. With repeated use of your sugar, your mother-in-law will sweeten towards you. Lastly, your other option would be to do all of the above, plus serve her where you have added a drop of your blood from your ring finger specifically, like the finger you wear your engagement and wedding rings on. Make sure the coffee is black and screaming hot when you do, and stir it clockwise as well. If your mother-in-law really hates you, or you have reason to believe that she's cursed you, you may have to resort to serving her coffee that you have recently spit in. (laughs) This must be done on a Tuesday (laughs) during a waning moon. I'm sorry, this sounds more and more ridiculous. When greeting her, you must kiss her three times, her left, her right, and then her 
left cheek again. This will rid you of the curse and return it back to her. Be careful, though. If your mother-in-law has in fact cursed you, she will pick up on what you're doing and refuse the coffee, which is now the least of your worries. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah! I don't even have words right now. That's... I feel that this is going to be useful in the future. <laughs> it's like, hmm, let's me, let me bookmark that page. <laughs> Somebody's going to have this podcast on repeat in just that spot. I know. <laughs> Thank God. This book is now on my Amazon wish list because it is available on there for, I believe, $16 for a paperback copy. So, yeah, there you go. What was You're it welcome. <laughs> Italian folk magic, Rue's Kitchen Witchery. Like, I literally have it on my Amazon wish list because I'm like, ooh, fascinating. That is fascinating. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, getting back to Leonardo. (laughs) Shiny tidbit over. I know. (laughs) In her autobiography, Leonardo claimed that she ground up the blood and mixed it with flour, sugar, chocolate, eggs, and a bit of margarine to form tea cakes that, in her opinion, were a little dry and tasted a bit metallic. Hmm. I wonder why. No shit. These taste like pennies. Have you killed someone? Well, the funny thing about that is, uh, yeah. (laughs) But other than the metallic tasting, they were fine, pretty much. And when she fed them to Raphael, he thought they tasted great. Raphael has no idea what's going on. Well, of course, she might get the metallic because she knows what's in it. She knows. It's either that or like he he either A, thinks they really do taste great or B, go, (laughs) my wife made me these tea cakes. I really shouldn't piss her off. Like, (laughs) I I love these, honey. They're they're, wonderful. They're wonderful. Is there some water around? (laughs) Help. I feel like I have cotton mouth now (laughs) after I ate a sack full of pennies. (laughs) Jesus. The cakes were out of the oven, but she was not done. She wanted to make sure Giuseppe not only had protection on the inside of him, but on the outside as well. So she took Faustina's body parts and threw them in a huge pot that she had on the stove. In her autobiography, again, she explained her process, saying, quote, I threw the pieces into a pot, added seven kilos of caustic soda that I had bought to make soap, and stirred the mixture until the pieces dissolved, end quote. <laughs> Shit. Whoa. Yeah, just this big-ass cauldron she had on her stove, just threw the body parts in, and it was just like, dissolve. There's a movie where they're using people to make soap. Fight Wasn't Club. that part of Fight Club? Yeah. Yeah, it was Fight Club. Ah, that's funny. <laughs> During her normal soap making process, Leonardo would use caustic soda to render animal fat to make the soaps. Caustic soda was extremely powerful and given enough time, it would dissolve everything in it, including hair and bone. That's fucking scary. <laughs> As the pot was boiling, Leonardo took off her clothes and soaked them in vinegar Vinegar usually gets rid of small uh, smell and sanitizes things, and um, the smell, although it's strong, fades pretty quickly. That's why it's so popular nowadays to be used in like homemade cleaning supplies. And I actually use a diff- few different mixtures myself with vinegar when I clean my kitchen and stuff. I put some essential oils in there. I do a combination of lavender and bergamot, or lemongrass and blood orange. Yeah, like depending on how I yeah, depending <laughs> on lemongrass and blood. Yeah. <laughs> 
But I can definitely say my kitchen smells fabulous after I'm done cleaning. Like, That's at nice. first, all you can smell is this overpowering sense of vinegar. But afterwards, it's just like, hmm, herby. I mean, it's I gotta say, I'd rather smell vinegar than bleach. Yeah. Oh God, that's I just can't horrible. Stand the bleach smell. I mean, bleach will get it cleaner. But yeah, it will. Still. Very quickly. Only for super effective things like blood all over your kitchen. <laughs> but vinegar. <laughs> get some damn oxyclean. <laughs> It'll go away. It's not. A, I just threw some grapes at the wall. We'll be fine. What the fuck? I didn't kill anybody in the kitchen. I know my I know my pantry is big enough to hide a body, but I promise you, there's none in there. <laughs> oh my god! <sighs> I want to keep the podcast focused on content that entertains, informs, and is mindful of your time. One way to accomplish this is direct listener support. Your support would help the show grow so much, so I've set up a link where you can quickly and easily support the show. The whole thing will take 30 seconds. It's glow.fm forward slash something wicked. That's glow.fm forward slash S-O-M-E-T-H-I-N-G-W-I-C-K-E-D. We're asking for $3 a month, but you can contribute as much or as little as you'd like. If Something Wicked is part of your day or week and you love what we're doing, please go to glow.fm forward slash something wicked and support us any way you can today. It's dead simple and again will take no more than 30 seconds. Click the link in the show notes, pay with Apple or Google Pay, and click the link of the podcast player that you want to use. You can listen anywhere at any time. Happy listening! But getting back to Leonardo, after she cleaned her clothes, she hid Faustina's suitcase and belongings in a closet, but not before taking the 30,000 lire that Faustina had saved up all her life and was going to start this new life with her husband. Finally, after herself and her home was spotless of any evidence, she felt relieved and checked on the contents of the pot. She felt this whole process had been extremely taxing on her, but she did what she needed to do, and now it was over. When she opened the pot, she was disgusted. Not because she had body chunks floating in the soda. No, because the contents didn't look like any of the soap she had made before, so it didn't meet her perfection standards. It was dark and sludgy that she referred to as, quote, thick, dark mush, and in her opinion, it was disgusting and unusable and would not be used on her precious son. She figured that she failed the right, and so Faustina's remains were dumped into a nearby septic tank. Oh. <laughs> yeah. After all that, she's like, no, your body chunks are not good enough for my son. Like, we can't rub you all over. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Oh, it's no. so gross. <laughs> she was upset now because she had killed someone and not been able to save her son because of it she did feed her son some of the tea cakes when he came home though because that part obviously worked <laughs> she then sent her son over to the next town's post office to make sure that the first batch of Faustina's letters had been sent Leonardo went back to the books and for weeks tried to figure out what mistakes she had made 
During the day, she made her soaps and gossiped with women in town about where Faustina went and who was this man who would want to marry an old spinster. And as they talked, they ate the tea cakes made from Faustina's blood. And... <laughs> yeah. And her friends were polite enough not to comment on how dry they were. I could just imagine them sitting there, though. Just like, mm, these are delicious, Leonardo. They're great. <laughs> so yummy. Like, as they're coughing up dry parts. <laughs> oh my god. After the days passed, Leonardo concluded that the spell mishap was not her fault. She had done everything perfect, that the fault must have been with Faustina. She felt that trading the life of an old, unhappy woman did not make an equal trade to her young, vibrant, happy son, Giuseppe. Therefore, she had not followed the rule of equivalent exchange. Oh, no. Yeah, so she's like... She's getting even more particular about this. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, it's not my fault because I did it perfectly, but you're an old dried up bitch, so (laughs) you're not good enough for my happy peppy son. It's like, what the fuck? (laughs) She then made the decision on August 10th of 1940 to try again on another woman from Correggio. She still had time because the army recruiter wouldn't come back for Giuseppe until the following November. Francesca Soavi was a 55-year-old widow who had worked most of her life as a schoolteacher until her late husband got sick, so she quit her job to take care of him full-time. Unfortunately, when her husband died, her teaching position had been refilled, and so with no jobs available in town for an older widow, she went broke. Francesca never had any children, and even though she was well-liked and a well-respected part of the community, if she disappeared, no one would ask a lot of questions. And based on Leonardo's ability to read body language and decipher what her customers of her for palm readings wanted the most, she was able to come up with a plan to lure Francesca to her house. She told Francesca that due to her connections all over the country, she heard about a job opening at a very elite girls' school in Placenza, which is an area surrounded by mountains between Bologna and Milan. She told Francesca that she was able to secure a position for her, but couldn't tell anyone where she was going or what she was doing because the elite from Italy and bordering countries sent their daughters to school there and valued their privacy. That- <laughs> That's ridiculous. I'm sorry. Like, straight up, between Francesca and Faustina, like, both of those situations would be setting off red flags all over the place for me. I'd be like, that sounds sketchy as hell. Why can't I tell anybody about my happiness and what's going on in my life? Yeah, but I think they had a different degree for sketchy back then. Seriously, apparently. Because, again, like I said, if that was told to me now, I'd be like, um, no? (laughs) Nope. No, I'm thanks. not keeping that shit to myself. Like, why 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 is it so secretive? Why is it so important? Like, what the hell? So Francesca had to write to her friends that she had been given an excellent job opportunity, but due to rules in her contract, could not reveal where um where she had been accepted. And she would be getting paid with room and board included, and she would be doing a job that she loved. 
And on the morning of September 5th, 1940, Francesca arrived at Leonardo's with her bags packed. She was nervous because she was going to be leaving her life that she had known for an unknown adventure. So she gratefully accepted the glass of wine given to her from Leonardo to calm her nerves. And she drank every last drop. Probably without encouragement at that point. Yeah, she's like, I'm good, bitch. Let's go. Thanks, Glug. Yeah. <laughs> well, Francesca was drugged. Leonardo took all the money that Francesca had out of her pockets this time, when she swung the axe at Francesca, she was more in control. Also, she had planned ahead, setting the basins around the chair Francesca was sitting in. That's so not... Oh, no. If anything's a red flag, it would be that. Why so this so poor woman, as she's getting, like, trippy off her ass, this other woman is just placing basins around the chair she's sitting in. I'd be like, the fuck are you doing? <laughs> what is happening now? <laughs> Once Francesca was dead, she went into the same process that she had with Faustina. She separated Francesca's head and limbs from her body, and as she did that, she noticed a layer of yellowing fat underneath the skin. This was something she hadn't seen on Faustina, and she became overjoyed because Francesca was a little bit plumper than Faustina, so of course she didn't have any of the fat, and because she renders fat to make the soap, now she has somebody that is... It's the missing link! Yeah. (laughs) So she went through the process of drying out the blood in the oven to make the tea cakes. They were still dry and metallic, but she felt something different. She felt this electric type of tingle that lingered on her tongue after she had eaten one of the cakes. So she figured she was literally tasting magic. So that meant the spell had been successful. I'm sorry. You're probably having that mouth tingling feeling because you are eating a person's blood. <laughs> like, your body's reacting like, hey, this is not something that should be going in here. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Rejection mode, activate. <laughs> She was happy until she saw the contents of the pot, which were the same dark sludgy mess that she got the first time around. So she got her, she got super pissed and in a blind rage went to grab the pot, which mind you was made out of cast iron that had been on the stove all day cooking to throw it on the ground and burn the shit out of her palms. Oh yeah. Wow. (laughs) I've done that a couple times where I completely forgot. Like, because I'm used to, I only have one cast iron, so I'm so used to using all the other ones you can just easily grab. Yeah. I've done that where I've grabbed it off of the stove and I'm like, fuck! Uh. <laughs> when Giuseppe got home that night, she told him that she had burned her hands and needed help pouring a bad soap batch into the septic tank. He didn't say anything, but he wondered whether this was a manipulative tactic that she was using to show him how hard she worked and how hurt she was to make him feel bad enough to stay home to take care of her. He knew she was the opposite of careless, especially when it came to health and safety, so he felt she was lying when she told him that she had just been careless. Which would make sense, I can understand that. Yeah, especially seeing as he doesn't understand that she got pissed about something. You know, or are cooking people. Yeah, that too. (laughs) Once he came back inside from unknowingly getting rid of the evidence, Leonardo made him sit down and she served him the tea cakes made from Francesca's blood. She watched him eat them in hopes that the electric feeling she got, that confirmation that the spell worked, would protect him, even though the soap making fell through. She felt that she had passed the point of no return and decided that she would sacrifice as many people as she needed until she felt the spell reached her level of perfection. (laughs) Oh, man. So now she's just like, yeah, at this point, she's like, 
she's gone from like I don't want to hurt anybody, I want to make it painless, to like I will kill all the people to protect my child. It's like what I will perfect this. <laughs> At this point, she's literally just being fueled by that perfectionist aspect. It is to also obviously protect Giuseppe, but like she just needs to get it perfect. It has to be right. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> She spent the next month all day and night reading her books as the war effort ramped up around her, and as more men signed up for the army, Giuseppe started getting truly excited to join the fight, not just to get away from his mother. Like, he was amped. He was ready to go. Because it's now gone beyond the, like, I need to get away from this crazy bitch to, like, I really want to help. So, which is a good aspect, but still. Finally, Leonardo figured out what she was missing for the spell. She felt that she had been so guilty for killing these women and so focused on making the process perfect that she totally forgot to keep her eye on the prize. She needed to allow herself to feel the grief and sadness, to focus on the sacrifice and the reason for the sacrifice, because it could only truly be a sacrifice if it meant something to her, if it hurt her so her next victim would be chosen more carefully. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> she would find someone that was not only important to Leonardo but important to Italy to Correggio Liter- Leonardo didn't have to look long to find her next victim as she was very close friends with a woman named Virginia Cacioppo. Virginia was a local celebrity in Correggio uh, she had not lived there her whole life though Virginia had been a talented and famed soprano in her younger years that had performed on some of the greatest stages in all of Italy, including the La Scala Opera House in Northern Milan. After she retired being unmarried, it was only proper for her to move in with a male relative, so she moved in with her brother and his wife in Correggio. Everyone adored Virginia. She was very beautiful, lavish, and had experience from travel. She was also very energetic, happy, kind, and humble. She was never condescending to anyone. Now, when Leonardo first heard of Virginia, she was jealous of her. She had lived her life to the fullest and squeezed any opportunity that her looks and fame could afford. And in Correggio, she was respected equally by both men and women, which afforded her high social opportunities. And as far as Leonardo was concerned, Virginia was her competition. She was respected and loved by everyone in town. No one made a move without consulting her first. She had that, this town ain't big enough for the two of us attitude. But then Virginia came into the soap shop one day to browse and introduce herself to Leonardo. And as they talked, Leonardo realized that despite her grand life, Virginia was the sweetest woman she had ever met. And though she was still highly jealous of her, Leonardo could not hate her and they grew to be very close friends. They bonded over their love of music and words. Leonardo would write poems and read them to Virginia. Virginia would sing to her. They would laugh and cry together, drink wine, and talk about all the things of the world that was going on a million miles away from their village. Being friends with Virginia made Leonardo feel special. She felt that if an amazing woman like her wanted to be friends with her, then Leonardo must be an amazing woman too. She felt that some higher power had brought Virginia to Correggio specifically so they could meet and become close. But then Virginia went to visit Leonardo one day to break the news that she would be leaving town. Oh. Yeah. Virginia felt that she still had much to offer the world and thought maybe she could find a club to sing at and live out the rest of her days doing what she loved, but didn't know where to go or how to start. So she consulted with Leonardo to get her palms read and get her fortune read and asked where Leonardo felt the best opportunities would be. Leonardo was pissed. (laughs) She felt abandoned and betrayed by this woman who she saw as her 
only equal in the town and was leaving Leonardo behind like she never existed, like she didn't matter to her closest friend. So she had gone from being like super jealous, like, fuck this woman, you're my competition. Oh, everybody loves me, not you. Why are people liking you? To like, don't leave me. Yeah. Why are you leaving me? You're my best friend, don't go. <laughs> and as she was mulling over in her head how she was going to go off on Virginia, she stopped and thought this woman who was almost as precious to her as her son this vibrant happy kind woman had been delivered to her doorstep by the universe as this perfect sacrifice to save her son's life because killing virginia would truly hurt her and she would allow herself to feel that pain she felt that this was the balance that the universe demanded for the spell to be perfect a life that she truly valued for another life she truly valued which is even more fucked up in my opinion it is it's really fucked up but it, it's definitely follows the alchemy rule there so she's got that down pat yeah like the equivalent <laughs> exchange thing but it's like i can't even like again like i would love my child more than anything in the universe but i cannot imagine murdering my closest friend no it's like Unless they did something really fucked up to me and it was like self-defense or something. Like, that's one thing if it was self-defense. But just like straight up murdering them because you are so afraid that your child's going to go off to war and die. That's ridiculous in my opinion. (laughs) Virginia was already leaving town and was asking Leonardo where she should go. It couldn't have been more perfect in her eyes. Virginia, unlike the other two, would be more difficult to convince, however. She was street smart so she had common sense, but she trusted Leonardo. Leonardo told Virginia that she found an opportunity for her, but couldn't tell her much about it because it was sensitive and highly secretive. Shocker. <laughs> Leonardo had to be more strategic with Virginia because she was not as naive as the other two women. So for the next few weeks, Virginia would come over and beg for more details and to keep her updated on the opportunity that Leonardo had for her. And little by little, Leonardo fed her lies and made it seem like juicy details that had to be pulled from her to the point that Virginia was so ready to hear more, she would have jumped at any opportunity. Leonardo finally told Virginia that there was this very wealthy, very private financier in Florence who was a huge contributor to the arts. He donated heavily to the opera houses, the ballet, art galleries. He was extremely introverted and wanted to stay behind the scenes. He didn't like grand parties, charity events, and dinners that went along with uh, being in his position. He needed someone like Virginia who knew the scene to manage his personal and business affairs and to attend all of these events in his stead. She would be going to glamorous parties and she would be meeting famous, important, rich people. She would be managing new stars on the rise. He, and he was apparently a huge fan of Virginia and felt that she would be able to perform on stage again once she made the right connections. But he didn't want anyone to know who he was. So when Virginia left Correggio to go to Florence, she had to make sure that the guy's identity was protected. She had to write letters to her brother and his wife, assuring that she was okay and living her best life, etc. The other two women were slightly confused about having to write letters in advance but virginia understood she figured that she knew the secretive elite types and knew how much they value their privacy so the letters were no big deal to her 
So on September 30th of 1940, Virginia packed all of her belongings, said goodbye to her brother, and went to Leonardo's house. Unlike the other two women, Virginia didn't get to Leonardo's until midday. She thought it was odd that when she got there, the store was closed and Leonardo's house that was normally noisy and chaotic was completely silent. Leonardo assured her that it was all part of the great secrecy of the event. And she tried to offer Virginia a cup of wine to calm her nerves, but Virginia refused, saying it was too early for wine and wanted to be clear-headed when she met her new employer. Leonardo continued to try her damnedest to get Virginia to drink the wine, and she kept declining it. Virginia did, however, eventually give in, figuring that Leonardo maybe wanted to have one last drink with her before she left. She drank all of it. And when Leonardo murdered her closest friend, she allowed herself to feel all the sadness and pain. Oh, yeah. Like when I first read all this, I was like, kind of like respect. I mean, like, I still kind of respect Virginia, but just the fact that she's like eventually just gave in. I would think at that point it would seem like suspicious. Why is my friend being so goddamn pushy about me drinking with her? Like, why? Honestly, I think Leonardo should have proposed it as, you know, one last drink as a friend in the first place. So then it yeah. wouldn't seem so sketchy and Virginia would have just done it. But mm-hmm. instead it was this whole game of cat and mouse just to get her to drink the fucking wine. <laughs> yeah, to drug her so she can, like, chop her up into pieces. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> Before she killed her, though, she had stripped all of Virginia's clothes off. Her fur coat, fine dress, jewelry, took all of her belongings and suitcase and put them in a closet and then stole the money out of the suitcase, which was 50,000 uh, lire. And this was more money than she would make selling soap in a year, so she pocketed that. She also kept some of the jewels that she felt she could make money off of. When she dismembered Virginia's body, she was over the moon, because she found a layer of fat under the skin, but it wasn't the yellow kind like on Francesca. It was the creamy and white and perfect. And Leonardo took this as a sign that she had done everything correctly. Oh, like, unlike the last two, when it was just, this is perfect. No, this is perfect. Now this, no, this is really perfect, because she's got this milky white fat. It's like, ugh. Very preemptive here. <laughs> Virginia's blood had been dried and made into tea cakes, but the soap still had to be made. So she put the body parts into the pot with the caustic soda and cooked it down until she noticed the smell was wrong. So she went into Virginia's luggage, smelling her perfumes to try to get the one that Virginia had been wearing that day. When she found it, she dumped the whole bottle in and became happier when the scent started to permeate around the house. It smelled beautiful like her friend. Well, of course it's going to smell fucking good. Uh, <laughs> it's just also, like... where the fuck is her family during all of this? Because it just says that her house is empty, but it never says where anybody else is and why she's allotted so much time. Do you understand how much time it would take to dismember an entire body and boil it down to make soap? Like, probably forever. More than a day. Like, an entire fucking day or more. And somehow, she has given this alone time to do all of this. Yeah. I don't understand. Like, I'm sorry. Like, Raphael must have some long-ass hours. Yeah, and I don't or know where... he's got some other shit to do. Or her other kids. Like, I'm, I'm going to assume, like, Raphael's at work, and probably the same with Giuseppe, and then her other kids are probably, like, at school or something. Because it doesn't say specifically, like, where her family was during no, this time. It's they just they that, don't give that information, just that she's alone. Like, I don't understand how you've gotten this much time. Yeah, I don't either, but eh. 
<laughs> in her autobiography, she said, quote, after a long time on the boil, I was able to make the most acceptable creamy soap. The cakes, too, were better. That woman was really sweet, end quote. Oh, God. Unlike the dry metallic flavored cakes made by the other two women's blood, the cakes made from Virginia were moist and delicious with no trace of an iron taste. Oh my god. When all of it was done, Leonardo had a perfect batch of tea cakes and a perfect batch of soap. When Giuseppe got home that night, this is where it gets fucking weird. Oh, fun. Again, Leonardo told him that she had drawn him a bath and told him to get in it. He thought that this was kind of awkward, but he was like, okay, thanks. And then she was like, I'm going to wash you. And he was like, uh, excuse me? I'm a grown ass man and you don't need to do that for me. But she was like, nope, I'm going to do it every inch of you with my hands. So eventually he gave in because she wasn't taking no for an answer. Uh, I think I would just leave. I would too. I feel like this is crossing some boundaries that you don't need to be crossing with a grown ass son. Yeah, I'd be like, um, mom, I know you changed my diapers and everything, but um, that I'm, was like twenty years ago. Can I'm we all... fucking not? Yeah. <laughs> God, that would be the most awkward fucking situation. <laughs> so <laughs> she started washing him down with the soap she made from Virginia's blood, <laughs> Virginia's body. She wanted to make sure that she washed him with her own hands so he was super protected. <laughs> Needless to say, when she was done, he was pissed. <laughs> like, he couldn't even look her in the eye. After what I consider to be the world's, like, weirdest bath time ever. Yeah. She made him sit down at the table and she tried to get him to eat the blood tea cakes. When he refused, she grabbed them and started force feeding them to him. Oh my god. Red flag, red flag, red flag. Yeah. These interactions destroyed their relationship. Not surprised. He never looked at her the same. He never felt the same about her. He pretty much thought she was tapped. Uh, yeah. She, she was at that point. You were entirely correct, sir. <laughs> but she didn't care. She knew that this would cause a rift between them, but she pretty much had the attitude of, I don't care if he hates me, he'll be safe and alive. That's, yeah, okay. Which I can understand that attitude. I've had that situations before with friends where it's like, I don't give a fuck if you hate me, but I know you'll be okay. Right. So, like, I can't blame her for that, but still, that's like, ah, oh, you don't do that to your grown-ass child. That's just weird. No. <laughs> Over the next few days, Leonardo gifted the new batch of soap to her friends and neighbors, and they thought it was her best soap yet. Oh. She served the rest of the tea cakes to the ladies that came to visit her and to customers of her soap store. Meanwhile, Virginia's sister-in-law was starting to get suspicious. A few letters from Virginia had arrived, but then the letters just stopped, and she felt that this was very out of character for Virginia. So... Mrs. Cacioppo, the sister-in-law, started asking questions around town. Who did Virginia spend a lot of time with? Where did she hang out? Who were her friends? This eventually led her to Leonardo's doorstep, resident soap maker and fortune teller. Mrs. Cacioppo was an honest, God-fearing woman, so she didn't believe in fortune-telling and mysticism. So the first time she officially met Leonardo, she felt that something was off. Leonardo invited her in for coffee and told Mrs. Cacioppo that she knew that Virginia was leaving town, but didn't know any more than that. 
Then Leonardo asked Mrs. Cacciovo if she wanted a palm reading, and the sister-in-law was not impressed. She sensed that, based on the reading, Leonardo's ability to manipulate was spot on. She understood completely how Leonardo could take advantage of an honorable woman and tell her what she wants to hear based on her desires. Then Mrs. Cacciopo left and went to Leonardo's neighbor to ask about Virginia. This is when she found out that people had seen Virginia go to Leonardo's the day she left in all her finery, but no one saw her leave. Oh. Yeah. Mrs. Cacciopo went to the police with her information and an investigation opened up surrounding the disappearance of not only Virginia, but of Francesca and Faustina as well. The connection was made uh, between the three victims uh, of Leonardo when they were able to confirm that both Faustina and Francesca had not only been seen by Leonardo on both days leading up to their disappearance, but the day of also. So they brought Leonardo in for questioning. At this time, Leonardo was 50 years old. She had, was seen by the police as a sweet little mom type who spoke quietly and respectfully, and she lied her ass off. <laughs> she said that, yes, she knew all three women and they had been to her shop and she advised them, but so had most of the women been to see her and advised them as well. So this is not something that's suspicious. She had no idea where they went and had nothing to do with it. So the police went back to square one and looked at the only piece of evidence they had, which were the letters that had been sent out to the women's friends and loved ones. They were able to track the stamps on the envelopes back to the post office that had sent them and question the employees on who had been there to send the letters on those specific dates. Oh, no. Yeah. So no. the police got a description of Giuseppe based off of who sent the letters from oh. that location. Yeah. So here are some big things you overlooked, Leonardo. One, your last target was a very high-value target. Of course, people are going to actually question or realize when she's gone, especially her family. She was a celebrity. Yeah. Also, you sent your son not only to bring those letters in, but to dispose of evidence. Yeah. You've overlooked so much in trying to protect him. You've actually condemned him. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. So, <laughs> yep. So uh, the police had a new theory. It didn't make sense for them for the sweet little lady to be killing women, but her son, a strong young man that was planning to leave town anyway, could have easily robbed and killed three women to leave and start a new life with lots of money. Oh. The police got a warrant for Leonardo's home and soap shop, and they found all the suitcases and belongings in the closet, and they immediately brought in Giuseppe and then accused him of killing these women. He had no idea what they were talking about, but they didn't believe him and tried to grill him into confessing. Then Leonardo showed up and told them to stop because she admitted to be the one that killed the women. They laughed her off at first and kind of played off that they were all Italian men with mothers who, if they were in a situation like this, their mothers would do the same thing to protect them and get them out of trouble. Then Leonardo started telling them all the gory details of the murders and they still didn't believe her. Wow. So to, to convince them, uh, she had them take her to the morgue where they watched her take apart one of the dead bodies in under 15 minutes. Oh my god! That's 
Oh, God, I have I don't have words, but that's just boggling. That's... Yeah, this is what you're talking about before, though. Like, how the fuck did she have the time? If she's able to completely, I guess it doesn't take as long as I thought it would. Like, when you decimate get that a body in less than 15 minutes. Like, and she only did it three times. Yeah, like she really is that perfectionist type. Well, it'll just get it done. Yeah, better, better each time. Well, shit. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> During the confession, Giuseppe heard it all and started power puking. <laughs> Because he realized what was in the tea cake she fed him and what was in the soap she washed him with. <gasps> yeah. Uh. Then Giuseppe just unloaded all of his mother's problems to the police. He said that she was crazy, that she was into witchcraft and the occult, and she had a whole study room filled with the books at the house. She's into black magic. She thinks she's cursed. She's just nuts. Like, he, he was done <laughs> at this point. He's like, no, this bitch crazy. Take her away. Like, I thought that whole interaction was weird, but now it's just bleh. Yeah. <laughs> Leonardo at this point didn't care about what was being said about her. What would happen to her? The only thing that mattered to her was that in her mind, the spell worked and Giuseppe was now protected inside and out. She didn't even argue when they toted her off to jail. After this, the entire town of Correggio turned on Leonardo and her whole family. Aww. Yeah, Raphael was shunned. He lost his job. None of her kids even waited around for the murder trial. Yeah. Giuseppe went off to war as he planned. He didn't even stop at the jail to say goodbye to her before leaving. Like, yeah, he he was just like, bye, I'm done oh, with you, bitch. Yeah, yeah I get that. Like, didn't, did, but didn't say bye to her. He was just like, I'm gone. <laughs> Fuck this place. Fuck you. I'm done. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Raphael continued to be the loving husband and tried to support Leonardo as she was in jail. What a good man. Yeah, seriously. Wow. Unfortunately, he became depressed over his wife being in jail, his family leaving, he losing his job, and unable to find any work, so he drank himself to death before the trial even started. Aww. Like, it's not an expression. He literally drank himself to death. That's so sad. He was such a good man, and he put up with so much shit. Yeah, seriously. I feel I feel horrible for him. Like, he, he tried so hard, and he was such a loving man. He and... was a good husband and a good dad. Yeah. <laughs> The trial took place in Milan in uh, the Reggio Amelia Court, and the prosecution brought in all of Leonardo's spellmaking devices to be used as evidence. Her pot, her books, the only thing missing was a copper ladle. This was missing because Leonardo had donated it to the war effort to be melted down. <laughs> yeah, she was actually quite proud of this fact that she had donated the ladle. She felt that this was like this huge gracious act and she was benevolent for doing it. She's like, yeah, no, I cooked a lot. I, I made people into soap and I made, I made my customers eat cakes out of their fucking body parts. But I donated a spoon to the war <laughs> oh my god expert witnesses had been brought in to testify and one or two of them said that they didn't believe that the crimes had gone down exactly as leonardo had claimed because caustic acid wasn't powerful enough to just dissolve human bodies and leonardo was offended by the suggestion she had been milking the attention of the people in the court and was using the court as a kind of confessional and enjoyed the reactions of the people when she described the crimes so she was not having someone question her abilities she stood up and shouted quote bring a body to court bring me a body of any age and i shall prove it oh my quote. god yeah she was like fuck you guys <laughs> Within three days, Leonardo was found guilty. During the trial, no, really. she. <laughs> Sorry. God damn it! <laughs> I didn't mean to throw you off. Didn't. But just like, nah. For real, nah. She she's innocent. 
She, during the trial, she had been mentally deteriorating in front of everyone's eyes. She would sometimes smile brightly and tell stories about the victims mixed with stories about her family. She would make jokes and then laugh loudly at them, even though she was the only one laughing. So it was eventually thought that she was committing these crimes because she was mentally ill. Her sentence ended up being 30 years in prison plus another three years in a mental asylum. Just like the Romani palm reader had told her all those years ago. Like in the one hand prison, the other hand a mental institution. Full circle. Yep. (laughs) Leonardo was sent to Pazuli prison where she actually thrived. When she got there, she was already infamous. The women would gather around her and listen to her tell the story of her crimes over and over again, or any stories. And it wasn't long before she was holding meetings in her cell, giving out advice about love in life and reading palms so like these women were just like story time sitting around and like like past the juice boxes i want to hear again how you chopped up the women like man seriously (laughs) she eventually got in got a job in the prison kitchen creating these delicious meals for the inmates from whatever ingredients she had available to her and her baked goods were renowned amongst the women in prison i am sorry i'm gonna stop you right there for a second i would not trust any baked goods this woman ever made again i don't give a fuck wasn't there probably blood in it wasn't there three inmates in this cell yesterday what happened to the third I don't know. Have some cookies. We don't talk about Susie. Here, have some uh, tickets. Yeah. Oh my God. Never again. No drinks that she presents to you. No sweets. Nothing. Especially, yeah, especially no wine. Yeah. I'm good. I'm good. I don't need any wine. I'm good. Like, you know what? I have bad hangovers. That's why. Like, just no wine for me. Thanks. <laughs> She was never unhappy or uncomfortable in prison. She actually liked it there. This is where she wrote her autobiography that I keep referencing called An Embittered Soul's Confessions. Her book was not only the story of her life and crimes, but also had recipes. And to this day, it's still considered to be one of the most original, traditional Italian-style baking techniques ever written. And some of the top chefs in Italy still refer to it. To, to the murderer's autobiography. <laughs> With recipes, uh, yeah. Uh, to, to, I gotta check this book out, because, like, it's, are people involved in the recipes? That's a good question. I'd like to know how... Next page, Soylent Cookies. <laughs> how much blood do you really have to put into this batch? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. Leonardo had been in prison for 20 years when she appeared to have some kind of small stroke. She did get better, but still continued to have these symptoms here and there. Eventually, it was discovered that she had a brain bleed that could not be repaired. Her health ended up taking a downturn. Her seizures started up again. She lost her sight, and she could barely walk some days. By the time she left prison, when she was transferred to the asylum, she was in super bad shape. On October 14th, 1970, Leonardo... Uh, Chinchuli died in her sleep at the age of 76, just one year before she was supposed to be released from the asylum. It was said that up until the very end, Leonardo remained unchanged, telling her stories and cracking jokes with the orderlies and other patients. Oh, oh I like, I actually, it I makes mean, me want to cry. A pretty full life. Yeah. 
The reason for her brain bleed was at first unknown, but later doctors had looked over her case and determined that it had been caused by caustic soda vapor poisoning. A chemical strong enough to dissolve human bone had burrowed holes in her brain and ultimately led to her death. None of her children came to claim her body, so she was cremated and quietly disposed of. Her belongings were donated to the Criminology Museum in Rome. And a lot of things are on display there of hers, including the pot. Like, they have this whole, like, glass case. It's all, like, a little mini backstory of what went on. Yeah. They should have made her into tea cakes. (laughs) (laughs) Stop! her book. On page 76, I'm going to show you how to make the most amazing tiramisu. That would have been, like, the ultimate irony out of this entire story is if when she passed away in her sleep, somebody took her book and her quietly disposed of remains, quote-unquote, and turned her into tea cakes. (laughs) It's not not ashes, it's Nesquik. Or soap. (laughs) Or soap. What if she was the one that would have made, like, the perfect soap? Oh my god. (laughs) <laughs> that would be that would be karma what a weird turn oh my god as far as her children they moved as far away as possible and changed their names yep. there is a record of Giuseppe joining the Italian army there's a record of him being deployed by the army to the African theater from there he was most likely transferred to uh, Tunisia as Ad- Italy's troops were forced to retreat from Africa in Tunisia they were doing okay until their supplies were cut off. And in May of 1943, the unit that Giuseppe was part of were taken to the UK as prisoners of war. So Giuseppe's name does not appear on any POW list. So more than likely, he didn't survive. He probably died on the battlefield in a foreign country. And the protection spells that took the lives of three women were all for nothing. Or, or, let's put a different spin on this, maybe. Mm -hmm. He changed his name. And he is thriving until he's old. Yeah, I like. I, I like to think that. I want to. I want to think that at least some of the effort that she put into it, like, made him live until right. like a ripe old age. Probably not. But you know, it's it's nice to think maybe he survived because at least he wasn't fucking batshit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> True. And thus ends the story of Leonardo Cinciulli, the soap maker of Correggio. We hope you enjoyed the season finale of Killers You've Never Heard Of. Tune in next season when we start diving into the spoopy section of the podcast. We're gonna get scurry with all the ghouls and ghosties and campfire tales that give you goosebumps. Don't forget to follow us on Anchor, get your super cool merch from the store, and keep giving loves to your girls. Laters! Later!